buddy. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> and welcome back to Seattle Sucks. The podcast. the podcast about hating the city we love. And it's clear it's another Colin is not here day. And we're not on the boat. We are landlocked currently. Yeah, what? I mean, it is a mobile home. So Yeah, instead of being ensconced in a 180 square foot of oil teak, <laughs> we are now uh, in 850 square feet of manufactured home. Yeah. With with cats on the loose. So, you know, just extra special recording at my house today. Yeah. Yeah, in the shadow of the now defunct Viking sports bar. Too bad. I feel like like if I tell everyone why we're recording here, it's only going to reinforce the uh, incorrect and prejudiced narrative about that or image that people have about my living situation in their minds <laughs> when they hear that I live on a sailboat. Greg's life is just that Simpson scene of Lenny in the house, just like, don't tell people how I live. <laughs> oh, no, it's the opposite of that. You know, Nyad is very uh, cozy and hospitable. Mm-hmm. It's just that in all that rain, mm-hmm. a... There, I was, I have, I have, I am still in a work hangover mode here. Like, I can barely, I worked probably like 75 hours mm-hmm. last week, six days, right through Saturday. That was, that was yesterday, right? Yep. Uh, and I got home tonight, Friday night, to realize that there was a leak from mm-hmm. the cabin top somewhere. Probably not a big one, but it probably been just slowly, you know, getting in in the big rain for days. So it was just like soaked under all the cushions of the port settee and like so bad and then back under the storage under that. Honestly, it's not like that big a deal, except that to get at and mop that all up and try and find where it was coming from so I could, you know, stuff some goop in it. Uh, <laughs> is that uh, the um, scientific term for fixing a boat? Is just yeah, that's the, the, the temporary. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, yeah, you just have to. I had to take everything out, and it, like, there's lots. Nine's very roomy, but the second you you know remove the settee cushions and empty the uh, the whole port stowage mm-hmm. locker, um, it's there. You can't. I can't even walk in the boat so yeah yeah. uh and i so it's still like you know under the cracks under in the joints of the there's still you know it's just now kind of dried out so i'm ready to throw everything back and because i think i went and you know i think you gooped the right i think i gooped the around (laughs) the the port light uh sufficiently that it that was probably it i already knew it was leaking there just it hadn't been hadn't rained that bad to to put so much water in the boat but yeah. It's just fucking annoying. Yeah. Well, as we've discussed, uh, this podcast is a lot like the movie The Lighthouse. And in this case, you're Robert Pattinson, where the labor plus the conditions in the house itself are slowly driving you insane. And um, you are the the husk before me who refuses to sing the chants at dinner with me uh, or to toast. You just want to eat. I, I definitely see myself... As more of a uh, Willem Dafoe figure, <laughs> hey, but don't we all? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but you know, I you know, I'll have to think about that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, so that's the story. So if the acoustics are a little bit off, uh, this house wasn't uh, designed for podcasting. Uh, perfect podcast echo and acoustics like your boat was. Yeah. So if there's you know echoes going on, loud thumps, anything like that, you know that's that's our ha- that's our bad. It's it's the house. But I thought since Colin's gone, we could do a little news potpourri episode. Oh, the laziest possible scenario. Yeah. Well, Excellent. we don't have to say that part out loud, but yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have no energy for anything else. I yeah, I have not been reading the Slack this week. Uh, the the uh, the news drops. Um, so this is all new to me. I, I have no idea what happened in the world because I was I had to I had to do a job of work. Well, uh, as the only person who worked this week, uh, you know I sympathize with you, and um, you know let's just get on into it. First off, Greg, I would like to wish you a uh, merry impeachment. What? That's right. We did it. We won. The uh, Cheeto has been cheating his way through his first term, and now it's all come to an end. Wow. Donald Trump resigned in disgrace. Incredible. Amazing. So I would like to just read to you uh, my favorite speech from just before the impeachment vote, uh, which was from Hank Johnson, a Democrat in Georgia. And... It was just very inspirational, and I just want to get your take on it. Uh, so he begins, While I didn't vote for President Trump, I respect the office he holds. I didn't call for impeachment when the president shut down our government or tried to rip health care from those with pre-existing conditions or embarrassed us on the world stage or pardoned political cronies or took money from our troops to fund his wall or tore babies from their mothers at the border. Ooh. I didn't call for impeachment then, not because I supported those actions. I simply felt that impeachment should be reserved for moments when our democracy itself is in danger. When the sign says, in case of emergency, break glass, there better be one heck of an emergency. I did not call for impeachment before, but I call for it today because this is one heck of an emergency. I got chills. Wow. I I am inspired. I mean... Wow, the oh gosh, the measured reasonableness of that just has uh, my <laughs> cock throbbing. <laughs> well, you know, you only call for it an emergency. Things that aren't emergencies, concentration camps on the border, things that are emergencies, potentially tattling on, on your uh, preferred candidate's son getting a fucking job, a no-show job. Cool. Like, uh, love it. The the like <laughs> backward. I mean, this is what we've been. What the. You know, so many Americans have been like pulling their hair out about for the last four years. But the fucking backward instincts of these people, like the ba- the understanding. <laughs> forget the. I mean, forget that this is a craven hack, and that you know he probably did vote for Trump. Um, <laughs> but like, he's that. What that is about in his mind is convincing sounding reasonable to say people who support the president who are mm-hmm. skeptical that of the impeachment and i it's just like wh- wh- why 
what would possess you? Like, why bother? Well, at this point in the game, too, like, uh, who do you think you're going to convince? And uh, sure enough, uh, let's check the... Ta- oh, yes, zero Republicans voted for this, just like they'll do in the Senate, which means that it uh, is all pointless uh, venture. I mean, if anything even happens in the Senate. Yeah. So the whole thing's completely pointless, but, Greg... I'm guessing it goes that- nowhere, like, not even a... a- no, I, just, yeah. I, mean, I it would I would be very surprised if there was actually like a, a trial in the Senate. Yeah. That would be amazing. Well, interesting you bring that up because there are things happening in the Senate, Greg. Okay. And this really was just a prelude to this little interview I heard on NPR's Here and Now the other day. That's right, guys. I'm a real intellectual, all right? I, I turn that radio dial on, and I'm like, Katy Perry? No thanks. Uh, generic rock band from the 90s that's still being played on Seattle radio for some reason. Uh, no way, bro. I go straight to NPR. I'm like, where are people just chatting? Let me get that going. Because yeah. people who just listen to people talk inanely, <laughs> what losers. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Uh, we'll edit that out later. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, so this was an interview on uh, Friday with Mark Joseph Stern, the courts and law writer for Slate. But I just thought it was a, it was a real, uh, again, inspiring tale of what actually is happening in the Senate. So this is quoting this guy. Majority Leader Mitch McConnell knows that the Senate is going to shut down for an impeachment trial sometime soon, and he wants to confirm as many judges as possible. He has been striking deals with senators across the aisle to confirm packages of judges. The way this works is that you have a few conservative judges and a few sort of centrist judges that are acceptable to, de- to Democrats. And while the Democrats probably won't vote for the conservative judges, they will allow McConnell to bring all these nominations to the floor as a package, effectively ensuring that all of them will be confirmed. So what he's basically saying is Mitch McConnell struck a deal with the Senate Democrats of like, yeah, we'll, we'll engage your little impeachment fiasco. All you have to do is let this just giant pile of ghouls into the well, federal judiciary. Hang on. Does that does that imply that the deal was to go ahead with an impeachment trial? It, it was, sounds like it wasn't. It sounds like from what I read just <laughs> then that the deal was to get some probably also very conservative but mm-hmm. centrist judges along with the, you know, white nationalists mm-hmm. and um uh like actual lunatics um and that that's the deal and that the democrats are just assuming he's going to do the right thing or something so they're not just like yeah it seems like what he basically told them was like hey uh, to make sure that we have time for any sort of event like an impeachment trial we need to go and slam you know yosemite sam through this right now and the democrats said yes and mitch mcconnell's a man of his word so the impeachment could still... I mean, it's definitely going to happen. because I, I, I don't know. I, because he, he's an honest man, and I'm sure he'll do what he says. I mean, I I would <laughs> Look, bet he hasn't even time, promised that much. I don't get... From that from that um, reporting there, I bet that he hasn't even been part of the conversation. Um, because, first of all, the, the McConnell's been pushing through the judges for the last three fucking years. Like, that's been the number one thing the Senate has done. Yeah, yeah. Interesting that you bring that up. So this comes so up. This in the is interview. like not a new thing. Yeah. Yeah, this comes up in the interview. Well, no, apparently. Uh, so they just uh, shoved through twelve like last week. So uh, it's 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 speeding up a bit. But this comes up in the interview. So the interviewer asks him about how long the judges serve, which you know uh, our friend here reminds us these judges will serve for life. These are lifetime appointments. 
They will be there as long as they wish, probably through the 2050s or 2060s. A lot of these judges are very young. Many are in their early 30s or early 40s. Amazing. And the fact that Trump has appointed more than a quarter of all the appellate judges tells you all you need to know about how his legacy will survive. The vast majority of federal cases end in the, at the appellate level in these circuit-level courts. A huge number of those will be decided by Trump judges who will determine what the law is. Yeah, well, so, the, huge the victory. incredible speed and efficiency with which they the uh, McConnell and Trump have gotten judges on the bench is directly in contrast to the uh, incredibly poor numbers put up by the Obama administration even when they controlled literally the entire government um basically put almost no one in the federal judiciary oh as i recall uh a certain obama appointee from chicago was quoted as saying who gives a shit about the courts yeah yeah (laughs) so another huge win for the legacy Uh, people uh, who uh, will never be accused of crimes because they're too powerful in the first place Mm -hmm. that's who yeah so uh this reporter does go on to say on the pace issue this is a record pace. Nothing like this has ever occurred in history, actually. Trump has appointed almost as many judges in less than three years as Obama did in eight. Yeah, so, but cool. But to understand that number, you have to know that the Obama administration uh, failed in its one of its basic uh, duties of putting judges on the federal bench. So the Trump administration... Uh, viewed like in some apolitical uh, way is catching up like there are, there there are vacancies like mm-hmm. so they're just doing government essentially sure. you need this pace <laughs> so the the issue isn't the pace it's that the people they're putting on the oh, bench yeah. are fucking psychotic right wing mm-hmm. uh, like the uh, like theocrats yeah well instead of uh putting people up there because they have a long history of service and stuff they're putting 30 year olds on the bench because they want them to be there forever and uh because yeah, so, the conservative movement is is actually grooming those people to do exactly that you know yeah so another fun reminder that while uh people were having their fun jerking themselves off singing impeachment christmas carols uh, Donald Trump is like fundamentally shaping the court system in the United States by putting in Yosemite Sam in charge. Well, look, by this and what a fucking waste of time this whole Russia gay and Ukraine gay shit was. Yeah, that's fucking bullshit. What a fucking jerk. But off. by the same token, like that you you can't look at this at like what is like you, the baseline is not like what what is the normal pace here. Mm-hmm. Um, so similarly. Uh, it's important to not limit the horizons of change to oh these people oh we we fucked up these people are going to be on the bench till the 2060s for the rest of their lives these mm-hmm. like uh bow tie republican uh like clan kids and because you you can't if you set the horizon there like yeah we're going to be in trouble the goal mm-hmm. f- for any uh, movement worth backing any party worth uh you know voting for should be to uh impeach all of them for crimes they've certainly committed yeah you know, like you and know, I, i'm sure the democrats just will just get rid of them all but, i'm sure you know, the democrats will sack up and oh yeah that. that's not anything the democratic party will no. 
ever do but you know that but if you just limit uh the horizon to that i mean then what's the fucking point Mm -hmm. um i'm just thinking you know uh mal and the cultural revolution had some good ideas on this uh maybe we could have a instead of a let's you know a pole potish instead of let's empty the cities maybe let's just empty the judiciary yeah uh type scenario uh definitely parody <laughs> but yeah <laughs> but yeah think about that i i heard at the tail end of the cold war they invented a neutron bomb that only took care of judges but yeah <laughs> there's also the point too of we've said on the show before pretty much any judge you run into is the dumbest fucking person on the planet oh the fact that- they're able to decide anything is part of why and you're, that's so you're talking to like the place. historical norm yeah you know? oh yeah like that's what's even like judges appointed by democratic administrations tend to be yeah yeah like essentially conservative like shitheads and and really dumb mm-hmm. fucking people um this is like an incredible f- new low the people who are getting on the bench now yeah. but i mean oh yeah yeah much hard. well you know as i recall it was the end of obama administration he was uh going to appoint a supreme court judge and he found a guy who was quote so conservative that republicans would have to vote for him and they just told him to go fuck himself and appointed their own guy <laughs> after 2016 so you know uh democrats even when they win they lose and uh that's the story so Let's maybe uh, move on here. We have a, we have a transition story here from City Lab okay. called Trump's plan to criminalize homelessness is taking shape <laughs> uh, with uh, his uh, partner in this effort, uh, Mayor Jenny Durkin. Is that what the next <laughs> sentence is going to read? Oh, Greg, you have foreseen the future and it is good. So the White House is taking steps towards divisive new action on homelessness. Sorry, did I say divisive? Decisive new action on homelessness. Bucking policies favored by advocates in favor of an aggressive approach that centers the role of law enforcement. Yeah, sound, that doesn't sound divisive at all. That sounds extremely bipartisan. <laughs> yeah. Some of these efforts hit roadblocks this week, but more measures are in the works, including a rumored executive order on homeless encampments. Advocates say that they expect an executive order on homelessness to assign new resources to police departments to remove homeless encampments and even strip housing funds from cities that choose to tolerate these encampments. It's one of several efforts being steered by the White House's Domestic Policy Council in, co- in concert with the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. Wow. Uh, homeless, like, issue aside... Uh police department big federal programs where the police departments get funds and equipment from the u.s government um always uh bad news i mean trying to picture (laughs) what specifically aside from just you know uh more assault rifles like what are they all gonna get is there gonna be a federal program to assign like three or four israeli armored bulldozers to every Police department they're gonna, in America. They're gonna get that like steamroller thing from Soylent Green that just like runs over the corpses yeah. in the street and stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, so advocates say that the government's looking closely at ways to turn former correctional facilities and federal buildings into shelters. <laughs> First of all, Jenny's already beat him to the punch on that one. But isn't it interesting when it comes to uh, emergency shelters for the homeless, the first thought is always, well, we just put them in prisons. Yeah. (laughs) How about that? 
Uh, it'll be a former jail, not the current jail. Therefore, it's different than just putting him in jail for being poor because it's a former jail. I mean, the cells will still be there and stuff, and they yeah. won't be allowed to leave. But yeah. yeah, conveniently, it will have the infrastructure of a jail. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Um, Trump and Jenny, so great minds think alike. Yeah, and I think we can look forward to this because they are narrowing their focus for this new program on a list of 24 cities and states, all of which have large numbers of unhoused people sleeping outside. Most are located on the West Coast, where Trump has sought to embarrass progressive officials by intervening. Uh, by the way, Seattle, definitely on this list. <laughs> so oh, yeah. We can look forward to... Uh, a new exciting era of cooperation between our mayor and our president. So, particularly when he uh, gets four more years, <laughs> they end up nominating Joe Biden <laughs> to give it against him. Or even better, Pete Buttigieg. But yeah. So, that brings us to what's going on. See, you, you foresaw where we were going with this. Yeah. Because Jenny Durkin also announced a, uh, a bold new proposal of her own. Okay. And this is from the C is for Crank. Durkin pushes City to study biometric tracking of homeless customers. Huh. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What what the fuck is a homeless customer? It implies it, you're buying something, first of all. Yeah, well, you know, you need a service based model, you know. Uh so this is from Erica Barnett and at the direction of Mayor Jenny Durkin, the city's human services department is studying the possibility of mandatory biometric screening of homeless shelter and service clients using fingerprints or other biometric markers to track the city's homeless population as they move through the homelessness system. Oh, I mean, that sounds like it'll help solve the problem. Uh, well, digital ID, according to uh, the Durkin spokeswoman, uh, Kamaria Hightower, would create efficiencies that will help improve the situation. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's just so, I mean, it's how this podcast keep going, right? Because it's like, it's just so easy <laughs> to see, like, it's like there's not just one angle to take. Like, forget the 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 idea that they're going to track people's biometrics, that they're going to, you know, tally up all the services you've ever uh uh been a customer of uh that they're gonna have your share your data with mm -hmm. you know the entire every government agency that you're gonna be on a fucking list that that it's a giant like waste of time and money that that efficiency is really just a code word for uh fewer staff uh mm -hmm. forget all of that the I mean, the thing to start with here is the idea that efficiencies matter at all in this scenario. Like, it's a joke. Like, that's just, a, it's fucking laughable on its face. If we just <laughs> spend the money we are spending 1% more efficiently, if we get that extra 1% mm -hmm. back, fuck, man, we got this shit licked. We don't need to change the basic... Uh, parameters of our economy mm -hmm. uh we don't need to uh actually you know invest in any kind of change with uh real 
dollar amounts that would matter. Uh, just efficiencies. Yeah, well, and uh, it is the typical like liberal thing too of the uh, the real problem with why the homelessness you know uh, services you know is aren't working is that too many undeserving people are yeah. gaining access to it. So we need to like have a face print of every homeless person. Well, think of because the data they'll have. People are getting into the shelter to sleep for the night. <laughs> you know? Yeah, think of the data. Think of the lists they'll be able to generate uh, of. Uh, people who, you know, keep taking those services and yet never uh, get their lives together, you know, mm-hmm. who remain crushed under the heel of uh, capitalism. Uh, I mean, they're all, also, you know, this is very Seattle in that it's clearly like just what the actual announcement here is, is like a big contract for some fucking uh, tech vendor that's just going to make millions off some junk, you know. <laughs> Well, they, that nobody needs. Uh, they were mentioning that uh, in the internal emails Erica Burnett had, they were talking about how they wanted to model this after San Francisco's own biometric uh, program for the homeless that is run by some idiot tech company who apparently gets about six hundred and thirty grand a year to run this. Uh, and it does mention later uh, from Bloomberg Business Week. Uh, let's see. Since implementing the one system digital ID in San Francisco, there's not been an increase in access to permanent housing. That was very shocking. Oh, was, oh my gosh! I really what efficiencies would be gained? Wow! <laughs> I had to read it multiple times. I had to get out my little looking glass to look at it, but apparently. Uh, you know, where this has uh, been tried in other cities, of course, has not improved the uh, situation regarding homelessness at all. But maybe this time. It's almost like you'd have to be fucking brain dead to, <laughs> uh, to like, say any of this shit into a microphone or, like, type it into a press release. Yeah, well, as uh, one of the uh, tech security experts that Erica Barnett talked to, uh, Shankar Narayan, director of the Technology and Liberty Project for the Washington State ACLU, says, why is it so difficult for them to identify people through a means other than putting everyone's biometrics in a database? What problem is your shiny tech doodad the solution to? And if you're going to force people to give up their biometrics, it better be for a really good reason. But we haven't had the chance to have that conversation because they're just jumping ahead to the shiny new thing. Well, they're gonna yeah, they're gonna buy a bunch of devices. They're gonna have build a bu- have to build databases that then you know they're gonna have to pay more software dipshits to integrate with other things. When in the end, if you really have to track these people, they have fucking names, you know. Yeah, but also like there's uh. There's also like an admission of defeat here because what you're talking about in all of these conversations about the efficiencies and whatever is building essentially this is very much about building infrastructure mm-hmm. to um manage a homeless population. So like there shouldn't we shouldn't actually we should build zero infrastructure to fight homelessness. I we should build permanent uh changes in our economy mm-hmm. and in our um uh welfare system that serve people living lives in homes with dignity because then you won't have those people you won't have to be managing a homeless population okay so any any shit yeah. like this is a fucking 
dead end, but it's deliberate. That's that's the idea. The idea is is management here. I don't know. I mean, when IBM steps in to help you with your census, it's not like anything could go uh. wrong. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I hilariously, so Erica Barnett got hold of some of the internal emails. And uh, the Human Services Department Strategic Advisor, Dusty Olson, got a question from one of his staff asking, what is the problem the mayor's office is trying to solve around biometrics since we've already invested in scan cards? To which Olson responded, I am not sure they're trying to solve a specific problem. She probably just heard about a cool thing. I doubt they're even aware that we use scan cards. I think we just need to do research on biometrics and make a recommendation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god so that rules <laughs> that is wow such, i'm gonna such, guess that like, dusty the, olsen wasn't counting on that getting out that's the exact <laughs> but i mean like that's so what's funny about that is not like that's not shocking at all that's like exactly how we picture mm-hmm. like these people operating oh yeah you know, like it's not but it's like that candid uh statement doesn't always get out like that um yeah and so I, perfectly encapsulating that these are just uh, rich careerist dipshits like Mayor mm-hmm. Jenny, who's just a fucking rich moron who doesn't give a fuck about anybody about the city except whatever fucking metrics she can put up to and awards she can bring in for the city. You know, could st- stand up at a press conference and say we're a world class city and we're a tech hub and we're innovative because. It reflects well on her to go on with whatever is next in her life, which she's hoping, I guess, is in, like, a Joe Biden administration or some yeah. shit. Yeah, oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> Seattle Sucks says, RIP to Dusty's highway bone, but thanks for reporting on it anyways. So, since the story came out and it made a little bit of waves, the Durkin administration uh, gave Erica Barnett a response. A All right. response. And I just thought that you would love the language in this. Uh, so, quoting, Mayor Durkin is focused on finding innovative and customer-driven ways to improve services for people experiencing homelessness. Customer-driven. That feels good. Ew. With that said, utilizing biometric technology was a recommendation of the National Innovation Service. Does it say what? like ass wipe actually had to say these things to erica <laughs> barnett like who I had believe... to who had to debase themselves uh oh hightower yes the okay. uh spokesperson that we yeah. mentioned earlier so i like this though with that said utilizing biometric technology was a recommendation of the national innovation service which i love the idea that there's something called the national innovation service yeah wow uh, that is that you know what that that name doesn't actually tell you like that could be that could that sounds like that's probably just a lobbying group right almost certainly that's not uh, like it's meant to sound in this art drop like that's mm-hmm. like some federal commission on like you know improving the bureaucracy or possibly home homelessness or like to just wash over you but that sounds like a tech lobbying group I think that it is basically if you were to go to their building, it's just like a Lovecraftian whore, and they just keep descending down until you eventually see a bunch of fish people worshiping I, at an altar. I'm gonna that's that's plausible. I'm gonna posit that actually, it shares an address with um, some other larger lobbying group, and is there's one guy who works for it. <laughs> but he's actually an employee of some other giant uh, lobbying group. So they got their recommendation from the NIS, 
which came after close consultation with customers, learning from them the specific barriers they face. This is like you can imagine the um the the like the learning process here and like how many questions that of with obvious answers you have to ignore before like <laughs> leading someone toward like something that says yeah we need innovative solutions because like how many ways can a customer say i need a house yeah yeah like over and over again and just be rebuffed until you sort of lead them down the path of going like yeah i guess i mean i guess we need to come up with new and innovative ways to get me a house i don't know they just found some homeless guy in the street and they're like excuse me customer (laughs) what do you think could help you with your situation here and he's like Maybe if you like scanned my face, and any time I wanted soup, I'd shove my face onto a board. Like, you know, the real uh, contract help to out. win here is the one that integrates it all and manages it mm-hmm. permanently. Okay, like this, like uh, honestly, uh, Magnolia Mindset Machine Learning Academy should do like should write up like a proposal, a pitch to manage this whole process where we integrate, uh, you know samaritan and these like biometric scans and whatever the fuck else the uh jenny your digital mare uh so this is a wonderful foreshadowing of what we're going to talk about in the patreon episode but (laughs) the ring the famous company that we keep talking about uh has an office in the ukraine that like handles all of like the data and stuff like that and apparently they throw these giant parties where they, like, make custom shirts that, you know, say, like, fuck crime. But apparently, which everybody focused on that one, but the one that actually is the most disturbing was a hoodie that they gave all their employees that on the back that said, machine learning will set us free. <laughs> and that is some <laughs> Terminator Cyberdyne systems fucking shit. <laughs> I mean, my first thought was Auschwitz, but... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, it fucking rules, and uh, wow. I look forward to that. Holy future. shit, can we get those? I Presumably, yeah, I mean. Can we, is that on eBay? Can I get a machine learning will set us free uh, hoodie? I don't even wear, ho- I would wear that hoodie. I don't even wear shit with shit printed on it, but I'm just imagining. that is the most perfectly, <laughs> like, that is, that is some Seattle sucks. Walking shit, through South, right South Lake Union as a slow clap builds as I yeah. go down the <laughs> Oh my God, like, I want to get that. For Colin for uh, for Christmas. Oh God, that'd be so good. <laughs> Somebody should tell him that they stole the uh, motto from his <laughs> coding academy, though. Yeah. So, back to their statement. Customers specifically mentioned the difficulty retaining documents <laughs> that, due to weather. Wait, theft. we need to translate that into Latin so it can be on the logo of Magnolia Mindset. Hell yeah! <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Anybody that knows Latin, let us know. All right, so customers specifically mentioned the difficulty uh, they had in retaining documents customers. due to weather, theft, and the we general loss of We don't want to talk about these people in any kind of... like It has to be completely abstracted. The people living and dying on the street. Yeah, yeah. You know? No, customers. Doesn't that sound nice, though? Customers. Well, and as one, uh, <laughs> uh, one critic of this biometrics uh, program mentioned... Uh, part of the reason why they have trouble hanging on to documents is that Seattle PD throws them away every time they go and clean an encampment, uh, which is also a Jenny Durkin yeah. initiative. I mean, this this language makes it sound like they're trying to develop a market, you mm-hmm. know, which is, again, like a, a sinister indication that this is meant to be a permanent management situation. It's like 
if you know the city had been poisoned by lead and instead of getting the lead out of the water you uh the city set up a like a you know thought as an opportunity to market fucking water filters you know yeah yeah like this these are two completely different like levels of this is just this is yeah this is bullshit that is meant to be a permanent structure yeah yeah pretty much well, I just thought we had finished because I thought she had the best take on it. But uh, Tiffany McCoy from the lead organizer, or the lead organizer for Real Change, uh, when uh, Erica Barnett brought this issue up to her, said, I just continue seeing with the Durkin administration this idea that technology will solve the entire housing crisis. We know that we need hundreds of millions of dollars for new housing to start digging ourselves out of this crisis. But instead of focusing on that issue, which will require some kind of new revenue, ideally progressive revenue, we're instead focusing on how we're going to efficientize our way out of the homelessness crisis. Oh, I like efficientize. It yeah. makes it sound s- deliberately stupid. I like yeah. it. That's yeah. That's great. And yeah. it is. I'm going to start stupid. saying that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like that. That's good. So. That's a good dig. That's a good subtle dig. Um, yeah. Yeah. So just good old fashioned trash. So just loving it every day. The city giving us the goods. All right. So <laughs> there was also another, you know, our other favorite news publication, The Stranger, had a yes. great story in their new issue uh, where they count down, uh, I believe it's their 25 uh, biggest stories of the decade, since we're right about to close out the decade. Well, Although, technically, Brian. Is it next year, right? <laughs> No, no. I know that you're you're try you're, you're putting a face and you're 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 going to near Nick Pity Nick Nick Nit Pity Jesus Christ. Anyways, I, I was agree with I was you, being though. ironically pedantic because yeah. who cares? But yeah, and apparently I can't say the word nitpick. But yeah, but I think you're right. Like that doesn't make sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. We tab. we sound stupid for having this conversation. Just yeah. just this is over. I mean, we all got over it at the turn of the millennium. Yeah, but so each writer took a you know a little few paragraphs to discuss the teens will be story that's what's that's what matters yeah they thought was uh the big story of the teens particularly related to seattle right and so christopher frizzle who you know i'm sure has the best of intentions it's frizzle whatever i Uh, like the way you say it though keep that in mind like the magic school bus lady keep that in mind when you hear this shit so anyways he uh got moment number six on the countdown and his was Murray Minor and hashtag Me Too. So wait, I just wait. What? Oh, Murray, Mar- Okay, yeah. all right. I just like that was so g- garbled that I didn't actually. <laughs> I had to piece it together. My I'm very tired. So he uh, goes ahead and he gives a quick rundown of you know Ed Murray's Me Too moment that ruined his. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't. I think like just glossing over it as a me too moment is a little misleading and and downplays it a little bit we're going i hate to say that i mean because i I don't mean to diminish the seriousness of what you know are more appropriately called me too allegations but i mean this is it's a little different it's a little more yeah but all this is actually a build-up right so he goes over murray he devotes two sentences to harvey weinstein and then he says again like i don't why you would make that connection at all i'm whatever you know so he says 
Shortly thereafter, a source I have known for years told me that Dave Miner, a prominent figure in Seattle's nightlife industry, raped her in 2001. I believed her immediately and asked if the stranger could report on it. Flipping page. Wait, he. This is Christopher Frizzell saying this? Yes. At, he asked the stranger? Who did he ask? He didn't just post it? So. She agreed on condition of anonymity and said she knew of other women who had stories about Minor who also wanted to remain anonymous. I'm presuming he asked her about reporting on it, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. So, I informed the publisher and the editorial director idiot. of The Stranger of the allegations. We consulted a lawyer about the legal risks of using anonymous al- uh, accusations and in January 2018... <laughs> Wait, we... like they didn't know that issue inside and out being journalists? <laughs> yep. Uh, don't worry, this story gets better. On January 2018, we assigned the Minert story to staff writer Sidney Brownstone, who had won awards for reporting on a previous rape case. As with the Murray case, the new revelations about Minert came out not in a courtroom, but in the media. Brownstone reported the story for several months in the Strangers newsroom, uh, but was hired as an editor at KUOW while she was still working on it. KUOW published Brownstone's reporting in July 2018. In a radio interview, Minert denied the allegations, but was notably unable to define sexual assault. Do-do-do. So the point is, it goes on and how this has affected Dave Minert. But I like this retelling of history here at the end yeah. of the decade of what happened in that story. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's one. So, from my understanding, basically, Sydney Brownstone started to investigate the story and just went ahead and took another job, like you do, and yeah. did, and reported the story there. So, I guess the stranger, free and clear. Yeah, any sort of I issues. Mean, <laughs> yeah, it's fucking unbelievable. I mean, that's that's actually despicable. Uh, I mean, that it to pick that. I mean, he's. He's reporting on this in as the what top ten his Casey Kasem countdown mm-hmm. number six as if it's just and he's just just the story but of course mysteriously in a way that no one would care about if mm-hmm. there hadn't been anything you know deeply wrong with how the stranger handled this no one would give a shit about the timeline and ins and outs of the strangers reporting and Mm -hmm. Sydney Brownstone taking a job somewhere else what is that all about Brian who cares (laughs) aren't we just talking about this creep who was outed um no but of course what he's just really plainly and like obviously like Mm -hmm. lazily doing is yeah trying to to uh whitewash the strangers like handling of this which was to soft to soft pedal it and to 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 -hmm. hold it back yeah well the stranger and specifically uh one sex columnist at the stranger who is friends with dave minor killed the story right that's uh, that's the actual thing that should be first inviting him to lunch to discuss it right yeah um i don't i don't remember this been a while so i don't remember the details that came out firmly but it might have been maybe it was it was either dan savage or tim keck who it's was reported somewhere that got lunch with minor to talk about it or it something Savage, yeah. um but i don't i don't remember but whatever we know that these people uh these other seattle rich people who are friends with dave minor um yeah like yeah. sat on this shit 
to the point where it's evident that uh, if you were following along at the time, it really seems like Sidney Brownstone quit over it and went and got another job so she could report on the story yeah. accurately and in a timely fucking manner. So, yeah, so maybe as the story, uh, you know, should be told, maybe within a stranger's own paper, if they had any sort of self ability for self-criticism, is uh, Stranger tries to kill Dave Minot's story because their editor, who is this fucking weight around all their necks, is personal friends with Dave Minot, right? Yeah, and I mean, lost a good reporter honestly, that, in the th- process. That makes that would make the top ten of, like, you know, certainly... Uh, uh, anyway, stories about the stranger in the last decade, and it's sort of slow and then rapid uh, decline. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's disgusting. Speaking of which, did you see uh, Christopher? So what? I, again, I guess we didn't read the whole thing. What the fuck did this have to do with Harvey Weinstein or Mayor Murray? It's just showing the power of Me Too. Okay. Yeah. So you know, Dave Minard still owns businesses in the city. I mean. The Minert story is actually an interesting thing about Me Too or whatever that you could talk about, which is that, you know, powerful people in the media tried to, like, keep these stories from coming out. uh, And even when they came out anyways, nothing happened for the most part. So the individuals stated, right? Like, that actually was a giant betrayal of the victims for the most part. Yeah, overall, yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know. So, I mean, we'll see. I mean, Harvey Weinstein might go to court. We'll see. Yeah. I have my doubts. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I just thought we could close out because on Friday, while I was getting cultured, listening to NPR, uh, I happened to catch the Weekend Review, and it has, you know, usually there is, like, you know, uh, some person from the Chamber of Commerce, an idiot from the Seattle Times, right, whatever. But this time they actually had uh, your close personal friend and uh, sensei Charles... Mudidi, I guess is what we're going with from The Stranger. Uh, Mudede. Uh, <laughs> well, I wish we were friends. Uh, but uh, he is, Charles, uh, that is an open invitation that Greg is sending your way. Yeah, well, I mean, we we got to have him on the show at some point. But uh, I'm going to get one of those necklaces that's like half a heart, and I'm going to send one to him, and I'm going to give you the other half. Hopefully <laughs> one day when you guys meet, <laughs> you can put them together. Perfect. The uh, only truly unique voice uh, in media in this town in my lifetime. And while normally I would fully endorse Greg's uh, ban on listening to NPR ever, I actually do encourage people to go back and uh, listen to that episode because it starts off talking about those 737 Max. Something he's been doing yeah. maybe some of the, among the best reporting on or and analysis of, period. Yeah, in, and, anywhere. He, and he immediately starts talking about the stock buybacks and stuff yeah. like that that Boeing goes into and like Boeing's the heart management of the matter. structure. Yeah. yeah, and the funny part about it is even though it's a audio medium, you can see the eyes glazing over in the room. You just read <laughs> the vibe. About this. Yeah, just no... The static <laughs> just changes yeah. vibration in a, in a subtle way. Yeah, I mean, no, it's not surprising. <laughs> I mean, all, every, most people in this town are still viewing that as a like a technical just like a technical whoopsie like mm-hmm. oh gosh some bad software was developed some uh some you know some i's didn't get dotted t's didn't get crossed mm-hmm. there was a you know well, the shit happens you know yeah and probably being hopeful too right that uh like boeing's position doesn't get significantly worse because what Modetti's talking about is basically like 
if Boeing stock starts to tank, like it could really expose a lot of fundamental weakness in the economy. In other corporations. <laughs> yeah, in other yeah. corporations that uh, could lead to an economic crash that we should probably care a lot more about and probably be like actually uh, doing news reporting on. Well, but. and if you've been following this story, just the, the 737 MAX story, as closely as like we have and Mudede mm-hmm. uh, has, and like you you haven't believed for a minute that that they're just going to be uh, they, any of these deadlines that mm. they're going to be flying those planes like yeah. because they've got serious fucking problems that that you know every again the narr- if you just read the basic like updates in the Seattle Times it's basically like yep this this little system yeah. that just has a problem if you actually are seriously reading any of the the real mm-hmm. uh, actual serious reporting that's going on you know as we've talked about on the show that this little piece of software that had a whoopsie that killed hundreds of people in two plane (laughs) crashes was itself designed to cover up other much larger problems so to solve it mean in a in a real way Mm -hmm. means going back to the drawing board on a number of things that are going to be costly and time consuming and a big fucking problem yeah, and uh, you know, so they're gonna shut down production at Renton, which you know employs eighteen thousand people, right? Well, and, and, and as we know, they've all supply vendors have already been yeah. cutting jobs like yours, yeah, you know, for yeah. months now. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm just gonna pick three letters at random because all these vendors just have three letter names, but uh, companies like AMT or whatever, uh, <laughs> they're. Uh, their uh, holding company, because all these places are held by holding companies now who just, like, these are just decks and their stock, you know, yeah. portfolio, right? Or just liquidating these guys, right? Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's been the reality. And, you know. And that gets, so that's under people, the radar because these yeah. little, nobody knows the names yep. of all these suppliers. Boeing doesn't make all this shit. They just fucking assemble it. They design it and they assemble it. Well, whereas, like, union Boeing workers might actually have something in their savings account to fall back on. Yeah. Like, these are people who don't, right? So this is. So these uh, people have been laid off left and right. Yeah, car Here in Seattle, other places too. Yeah. And, um, and the other part of the story that, like, I feel has got really short shrift in the city is. So they're going to shut down production in Renton, but a lot of that work is being shuffled. Those people are being shuffled up to uh, Everett or they're staying in Renton to pick up work that's coming in from South Carolina because the plant in South Carolina has been an unmitigated disaster, and it has its own 787-related safety problems that uh, I feel like we should probably get a, be getting a lot more reporting on, like the fact that there's probably a couple hundred 787s currently in service with severe fire risk <laughs> involved in them. Um, yeah, that's bad. That could be um, an interesting development that the the 737 just never gets back off the ground and they just move back uh, production mm-hmm. from non-union uh, work plants in South Carolina to Renton, but yeah. um, uh, that's you know sounds like that's happening on a small scale at least. But um, yeah, I mean it's just it's it's gonna well, be a disaster. Well, I love what I loved about well, the, the announcement of- this week. I actually did hear. I happened to be n- in a car and I heard about the announcement that they were uh, shutting down production. And I heard some NPR dweeb. This I was a passenger in this car. Yeah. Um, <laughs> say that on Greg, tape, I kept trying some, to reach over the lift driver's shoulder to turn off the radio. So, I kept getting slapped. <laughs> some KOW uh, turd reading uh, 
a statement that was basically like, you know, there's like, yes, we're shutting down. Uh, they've missed, you know, they've um, all these uh, projected, you know, refly dates have been missed and now they're shutting down production. Mm. But they say there will be no layoffs at this time. Yeah. And it's like, it was just such like a, like to just, ex- I mean, to just accept I mean that's the way our the stance our media has to take the 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 rhetorical stance that public radio takes is is basically uncritical yeah, of yeah. that like they've lied about everything so far obviously the day you announce you're shutting down production a yeah. fucking rent and plant you're not going to say and yeah that means like you'll wait a fucking month and yeah. then you'll lay everybody off you know well and uh no layoffs right now right yeah. right now is doing a lot of work today yeah, yeah. yeah. right now at this moment <laughs> Everybody's still got the job at this point. That too, like I said, I mean, one that means are we going to have then layoffs in South Carolina? The other thing that it means too is that uh, what happens when some of those seventy sevens that are currently in service uh, catch on fire, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, basically Boeing has put a bunch of like time bombs in the air and is like, "Ooh, hopefully none of them go off," right? And, right, and uh, you know, if they end up with another major crash on a to, different plane yeah I a mean, different flagship plane yeah i mean we're talking you know probably a collapse of a you know one of america's largest manufacturers that's gonna have to be immediately bailed out by the federal government but you know it's uh yeah that's gonna be a fucking disaster that's good that is economy shaking shit you know yeah and people that like these people are so fucking corrupt and this whole system is so fucking bankrupt that these they know these problems exist but mm-hmm. they're not like you know they're trying they're trying to delay and soft pedal and yeah like well for, and because they know if they take the big action that would be needed mm-hmm. then yeah then that's gonna hurt their stock price when uh when uh Modete pushed on this idea that like this could cause uh like a severe economic issue especially in the puget sound area the response from uh, NPR's, uh, you know, uh, host order was just like, well, wouldn't that just make uh, maybe housing would finally be affordable in the area? <laughs> and to which Charles just laughs and says, well, isn't that the rub that, you know, when the housing is finally affordable, you don't have a job. So we're just back at square one. <laughs> you know? I mean, but, yeah. I mean, what? A th- yeah, that's just <laughs> fucking inane. But first of all, that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, like. What a trite fucking thing to say. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, for all those uh, people who just have, uh, you know, a couple hundred grand in their savings account, it will be a bonanza of housing for them if the housing market crashes. Yeah, what that guy's That's thinking is, I guess works. I need to sell then. Yeah. <laughs> it's time to sell. That's Under what the table is that, texting as realtor. <laughs> that's what your that's what your uh, wealthy Seattleite is thinking about this mm-hmm. Boeing news if they're reading this like, hmm, maybe now's the time to sell. Yeah. Been waiting all these years, watching it go up, maybe now's the time. Most people are Mm-hmm. You know what? I don't know. It's just whatever. Well, I thought we close out. Charles again talked. I thought I had actually a pretty good take on another uh, interesting thing they talked about on the show, which is uh, Jenny Durkin's plan to reduce speed limits from thirty-five miles an oh. hour to twenty-five miles an hour. I, yeah, this was this uh, happened the week before last. Uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, okay, go on. Yeah, and um, 
one i can't remember what the other fuck there was some like data nerd on the fucking show who cares but one of these guys just crunches numbers for a living so he just starts busting out all these statistics but he actually had an interesting point which he was like oh you know pedestrian deaths from auto accidents have actually remained like pretty stable kind of no matter what we're doing he's like and then even so if we reduce it from like uh 20 people a year pedestrians a year killed by cars to 18 it's like we're still basically saying, like, that's cool that 18 people are getting killed. Here. Yeah, right. Oh, well, that, it's still, like, a really grim sort of math that we're doing, right? Well, that is the, I mean, that is the joke of this, like, I, listen, it may not be a bad thing to take, like, I, I, you know, I'm no stan of fucking our car infrastructure. I don't, yeah. but, like. We love cars. This, um. We're in a car right now driving down the highway <laughs> doing this podcast. But this is like, this is just such a lame and mm-hmm. like, uh, or this is just such a ineffective and backward and like stupid thing yeah. to do because it's like, I mean, okay, like you said, it's probably not gonna uh, save... God, where to even fucking start? First of all, <laughs> what are people going to like all you're doing is taking something away from people. You're not yeah. offering anything fucking good. Fucking build public transit. Jesus Christ. All yeah. but no, all it can be is in the the limited liberal imagination is a new rule. Yeah. So, ugh, we have to we if we all just do. But you know what? People don't obey rules. People don't obey speed limits. Yeah. People are certainly not going to obey a 25 mile hour speed limit. No. So all this will be then is a new entry in the everything is illegal um, sort of strategy in America. Uh, This is, you know, I mean, this is one of the already one of the prime sort of venues for that like strategy of social control is uh, our roads and highways where cops can just pull you over because reasons. Yeah. And then, you know, then create a situation where they can then shoot you. Um, Well, this every single car on like, you know, some of the uh, thoroughfares when there's not grid to gridlock traffic is going to be going over 25 miles an hour. And Mm. so uh, SPD can will be able to choose which neighborhoods and which cars they uh choose to ticket you know yeah Yeah, ticket and the thing too is uh once a police officer pulls you over they then can invite themselves to uh you know start searching your car yeah you know they can go further from there i mean we've had so they had lots of uh simple cases of people being pulled over and then winding up dead right yeah and um but like that's that's the worst case (laughs) yeah yeah stuff i mean that it's gonna that's gonna be a part of it but like it's really just it's it's you're not doing anything like yeah, just yeah. change the rules if you want to uh cut down on pedestrian deaths well you're gonna have to move away from cars which means building yeah. public transit robust yeah. public transit but if you want to for the cars that are on the road i'm sorry just making a new uh, rule oh, yeah. stricter isn't gonna That's do it you have to re- if you you're gonna have to re-engineer the roads it's not some new thing you have to figure out cities all over the world have done yeah. it in all kinds of ways that prevent yeah. you from driving that fast, okay? You can't have a, you can't 
What were we just talking about? It's just like, just follow the rules, everybody. If everyone would just follow the fucking rules. It's not how this is it will ever the, work. It's, it's a callback to the biometrics to solve homelessness thing in mm-hmm. that it's just a thing that... Uh, it's a thing to do to show that you're doing something that actually has no impact. Yeah. And, you know, my sort of take when I remember when I first heard about this, because uh, Mayor Jenny, of course, had brought up uh, Rainier as one of the first uh, streets they're going to lower the speed limit on. And I remember ever since I moved here in the mid-2000s, right, uh, people in Rainier were complaining about, you know, pedestrian safety and things yeah. like that and that something should be done. And every, basically, like, the city government collectively just told them to fuck off, like, over and over again until recently and i also remember that when i first moved here when you went into rainier you know the community had one complexion and now all of a sudden it has a different one yeah it started to occur to me that like maybe we're thinking about this all wrong this actually isn't about pedestrian safety safety or anything like that this is how you gate a community without a gate right you know once you gentrify the neighborhood yeah. <laughs> Once you gentrify the neighborhood, you essentially just make it really hard to like get in and around the neighborhood in the hopes that somebody will just avoid going there altogether, right? The outsiders yeah. will avoid well, going you pol- altogether. You police when you when everything is illegal, you get to police a chosen undesirable population yeah. as a tool of gentrification. Yeah, you'll notice if you go uh, MLK on the south side of Seattle is a multi-lane road, right? And if you keep following it north, it cuts down to less and less lanes as the neighborhoods get more traditionally, you know, expensive, right? Yeah. And the reality was is when they wanted to expand MLK, they actually were going to make it like Aurora, and they wanted it going all the way up north, you know, all the way through the U District and things yeah. like that uh, to relieve traffic off the highway and things like that. And those wealthy neighborhoods killed all that shit because they didn't want the poors driving through their fucking neighborhoods. So they they specifically s- fucking chose to cut off and squeeze those neighborhoods. They also, those little short bridges that are over there, they wanted to raise them so that, you know, like yeah. truck traffic and stuff could get there. And again, they fought that because they knew that that would be inviting people. This is how you gate communities without gating them, right? Yeah. And, you know, yeah, maybe you'll go from 20 deaths to 18 deaths, which is a middling thing. But we all know the answer to that, which is actually mass transit. And I don't think that any of this has anything to do with fighting back against cars or anything like that. I just think it's just wealthy people shutting their neighborhoods down. Well, it gets, you know, uh, sanctimonious liberals get mm-hmm. to say, oh, yeah, we're combating car culture. You're not. It's no. not this is not doing that at all. Yeah. Which, again, Charles, to his credit on the show, was basically like, you know, this city isn't set up for anything other than car travel. Like, we literally have a mayor who hates mass transit, and we've refu- we tore- we had it at one point tore it up. And we're not rebuilding it. And the roads are designed to drive much yeah. faster than 25 miles an hour. Yeah, which means people are going to do you it. Also, people are squeezing. Redesign the roads yeah. and have public transit that most people use. Yeah. Because it's good and available. Yeah, and functions, right? And then you will have less pedestrian deaths and uh, a lot of other Yeah, and once the, the public transit becomes much more efficient than driving in a car, people are going to take it. Because believe it or not, people don't enjoy their commutes. So whatever the fastest way to get somewhere and easiest way to get somewhere, that's the one they're going to take, right? And yeah. so, you know, you actually have to invest in these things. And again, this is just another, uh, you know, just bullshit out of the mayor's office. Not going to change anything. Just going to make being in the city that much more miserable. It is going to piss people off in an, yeah. like an inc- well, okay, you know, watch it not really happen. Mm-hmm. Watch, like, they make this big announcement. We're going 25 miles an hour citywide, but they're going to roll it out slow, apparently, right? Yeah. Like, 
we'll watch it just you know get a few roads like you said in some chosen places that are gentrifying yeah and then just be forgotten about or you know they never never gets that far it never gets to ones that are going to piss off wealthy white people before uh she's up for re-election certainly yeah you know um and and i don't think pissing off um don't get me wrong uh i don't think not pissing off uh like you know people who love their cars and their Mm -hmm. you know their bmws or their big trucks or any like conservative Mm -hmm. i disagree with is a strategy i think it's fine to piss people off by making the city and the world a better place uh, sure yeah and telling them to go fuck themselves yeah yeah um but you know there's no actual upside to this so you you could factor in that this if you really start to go through with this it will become a meaningless political football like signifier of like the war on cars that is yeah. not even happening but like yeah. it's it'll be like it'll be this it'll be this uh symbolic shot in the war on cars that will be felt by everyone who gives a shit and wants to but but will have no positive yeah. effect well it was interesting i was talking to somebody up in snohomish and uh you know we were talking about the the uh was i907 or whatever the basically like (laughs) made it (laughs) the car tabs tax right and you know they had this like insane view of seattle because i was trying to explain like yeah we have this mayor who you know like hates public transit and you know this is just another step towards killing it and he's like yeah and also i mean like you can't drive down there because they make it such a mess because they like you know want people to use the public transit like no that's not why this is happening like everybody has like this insane image of what's going on here Mayor Jenny doesn't hate car culture. Like, she is a fucking shill for Lyft, which is, like, a fucking disaster of, you know, car culture gone wild. She is, you know, uh, hates fucking, you know, light rail and stuff like that, has refused to connect up, like, the streetcar lines, and has done everything she can. She even came up with that fucking bullshit fake story that they ordered trains that were, like, the wrong size for the track, which turned out to be bullshit. But, you know, she slipped to the media. But what she hates is you. <laughs> like, like yeah. she hates the pores coming into town. That's what she hates. I, and, again, I, I think this is why people in Seattle love bike lanes so much, too, is because a bike lane allows for easy travel for people who live in the neighborhood, but it makes it really hard for somebody from Federal Way to come into your neighborhood, right? And, like, this yeah. is the logic behind it all, right? It's, <laughs> it's everything but an efficient transit system that would allow people to get around. Yeah. They really don't want people to get around. Right? It bears mentioning, to the city's credit at at all, the other reason for the bike lanes that they don't necessarily talk about a lot, but mm-hmm. um, is, is to redesign the roads, yeah. make them narrower, make the lanes narrower to slow down traffic. Yeah, yeah. The problem is... Um, I mean that that's great. That is part of the actual solution is mm-hmm. re-engineering all the roads. Uh if it's just to add in bike lanes and it's not to accommodate public mm-hmm. transit then I get yeah, you're just not you're just like helping yeah. rich people make their three quarters of a mile commute to work where they have a shower and uh, and like yeah. you know can put on their tie 
uh, and nobody cares yeah. when they show up or whatever. Yeah, but. exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, uh, again, if you don't want cars in the city, the answer is you create uh, great, efficient, and preferably free mass transit. To the point that there's so fucking little traffic that you yeah. have to fucking... Yeah. Like, well, take the do, roads down to one lane or uh, eliminate, yeah. pedestrianize whole fucking get, streets. Well, you get rid of large amounts of parking spaces. You turn that into, you know, you expand living space by getting rid of parking spaces. And then people actually use it, which actually happens. And, you know, every, of course, everything in Seattle, nothing's you know, ever happened before in the world until Seattle does it, right? But, like, this is how most cities function, right? Like, even in Europe, they have rural areas where maybe there's slightly higher car ownership and then urban areas where there isn't and if you are one of those people in the rural area you either take a train into the urban area or you drive you park in a parking lot way the fuck outside of the city and you get on a train and go inside right it's funny Uh, like growing up here um i think that would be that would certainly i had this in my imagination but this is a conversation I can imagine happening with people is like, yeah, imagine a city of the future with no cars where like if you, yeah, I guess you'd still need a car to like drive to a faraway place, but yeah. you'd have to park outside the city and like ride the monorail in. And it's yeah. like that. And you're picturing this like Jetsons future Seattle. <laughs> and like, you're like, yeah, Seattle do it. We'll be on the cusp. Not realizing that in yeah. other like normal places but in the globe, like that was like an out. old system. Yeah. That, and you it know? also encourages, like, denser living, which is, you know, better for the climate, all this kind of stuff. But, yeah, like, yeah, because at some point you might get tired of living. You know, the suburbs can't exist at a setup like that, right? Or they at least aren't going to be disincentivized but or de-incentivized. But, yeah, uh, I don't know. It's trash, whatever. Uh, you know, as always, Seattle sucks and it's not going to fucking solve anything. But cool. So. Yeah. That being said, why don't we... Uh, Push this manufactured home out into the bay and set sail. Let's see if it floats for another day. <laughs> cool. Oh man, we have. Um, I know that we have. Oh, I really should have written this down. Damn it. We have one new patron at least named Dave. Uh, hey. What's oh up? yeah. Hi, Dave. <laughs> what's up, bud? <laughs> hey. And look, we're gonna leave this up to our audience. Fifty-fifty. That is Dave Miner. <laughs> so uh thanks to our new patron um we'll be back on the boat probably with colin next week but until then uh bye (laughs) yeah oh look forward for a special christmas present as well yes yes a special christmas present will be stuffed into your stockings you little piggies so that you can have extra seattle sucks content for your christmas vacation and dealing with your family yeah (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, until next time.